Welcome back, everyone, for episode 21 of the Zero Analytics Podcast, where we explore the karting world to hear the journey from top performers in all aspects of our sport. Today's episode is a conversation I've been looking forward to for some time. His name came up in an earlier podcast, and I started following him on social media. Through a few conversations with people who know him, I became more intrigued with his approach and process from afar. Being a longtime participant in the sport, we were able to touch base on our sport's past, the current state, and the future of where we hope it gets to from here. We had a wide-ranging conversation about life, parenting, and karting. Definitely one of my favorite episodes so far, and although we recorded for almost two hours, time will fly by as you listen to today's guest. Today's Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, the fearless leader of the Racix and the 4-2 crew, my friend, Mr. Phil Snyder. Um, we'll just kind of explore stuff. I didn't really look up too much because I want to kind of, like you said, I man, I got to just as stuff comes up, I want to kind of just, uh, you know, explore the interest and hopefully uh, the people listening will kind of appreciate that. So, um so if you're ready, man, we can uh, we can start this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool, man. Um, well, today on the show we have Phil Snyder. Uh, is it Racix? Is that the name of it, Racix? Yeah, yes, it is. Yep. And um, and so a couple of things. There's a, a few names and quotes and sayings that kind of come along with you and and some of your racing. So I just want to kind of explore these at first. So when we say uh, like the four two crew. Um, what's the background on that? Uh, basically, uh, we're starting RACIX, which is actually uh, an acronym um, that I kind of use. It has to do with responsibility, accountability, um, and stuff like that to assign those types of uh, roles in, a, in group work. And uh, it kind of made sense with what I was trying to do with RACIX is it's all about accountability. It's all about your hard work and what you want to do in the shop. Races are one in the shop. People say, I say that's about 90% accurate. Um, but, uh, with the racing thing, my whole motto is I'm not going to just do stuff for you. Tell you how I'll tell you how to do it and teach you how to do it. That way the whole, uh, community grows that way. You know, teach somebody to fish, you feed them for a lifetime rather than just give them a fish. You know what I mean? And, up here in the Midwest, it's more like people were just giving fishes just to get some money. And it was kind of hurting the whole racing community up here. So that's one of the main reasons why I stepped up and did what I did. Um, so with that being said, I was thinking, you know, what better way to, like, I just don't want to help somebody pay, like make them pay me a hundred bucks or something for one race. I want to help them for a whole season mm-hmm. from top to bottom. Um, so I needed to come up with a name with it and, um, my number has been 42 ever since I started racing and I was just kind of thinking of ways, you know, uh, Jonathan Wheeler has the 55 cartel and I was just like, what better way than the four, two crew? Gotcha. No, I like it, man. I, um, you know, even like the logos and stuff you have on your t-shirts and, uh, like the whole kind of, you know, I guess more like the marketing around your, uh, what you are doing is, you know, I like it, man. It's, uh, definitely like uh, you know newer age stuff and i feel like you know it, it seems like you've been around for a long time as well and you know i think a lot of um i mean along with a great product like you know like the chassis manufacturers or guys that have done well in the past that have made a living out of this 
uh, marketing has been a big part of it, you know? So um, I think, you know, I, I like your whole package. I mean, I like what it kind of, the little saying behind it. And, um, you know, some of the people that I've talked to, and, and I would have had you on here sooner, but uh, when I talked to Wesley LeBlanc, he brought up, um, you know, he brought up your name and then Mike Halliburton. So I followed you both guys on there. We became friends on Facebook and I've kind of followed you along and um, want to kind of spread out, you know, the same guys riding the same chassis and stuff. But um, I've had a lot of people uh, talking to Chris Harris, actually, and he was, you know, he was like, man, you're really going to like this conversation. He's like, he's, you know, he was kind of telling me some things we'll touch base on later. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. And just like you're the little thought process you just gave behind it, like accountability and working in a group and stuff. Does that, where does that come from? I mean, is it something that you just apply through racing? Is that something that um, you kind of learn and apply through another job and kind of brought it into your racing aspects? Well, no, I'd have to say uh, it actually came from my father um, and a friend of ours that used to go racing with me when I was like eight, nine years old. Um, my dad, he's a carpenter. Uh, he, had, he had no idea what he was doing when we started racing. Um, and actually, my mom's side of the family got us into racing. Now, my mom used to race, and she was pretty good driver, actually. But my grandfather, Jerry Weingartner, he was a multi-grand, multi uh, sorry, excuse me, a grand national champion for WK uh, back in the 60s and 70s. And oh, okay, cool. Yeah, my mom's dad. And, um he got all his kids into racing. He started a racetrack up here in Ohio, and I grew up there. And so back to the question. So my dad, um, he hopped in to start helping me continue racing. Grandpa got me going the first year, just said, here's an old cart. Go have some fun, see if you like it type of thing. He did it mm -hmm. for all his grandkids. And uh, boy, did I have fun. You know, I mean, I was getting lapped, but I was having fun. Right. And loved it because um, when I'm out, when you're out on the racetrack, it's just you versus everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and then my dad had to uh, step in. Grandpa only did it for one year, and then it was up to the fathers to step in and take over and carry on. You know, mm -hmm. so um, it was easy back then because you didn't have the tire game. You didn't really have much adjustment on the chassis. We're talking the mid early mid nineties. Um, so you just went out there and raced and maybe check your air pressure, oil, and fuel. You know what I mean? Right. He, he didn't really have to do anything. Well, uh, we were really successful traveling, um, didn't have to do anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, then the game kind of changed. It became People started realizing, you know, how much speed's left in the tires. And then the tire game exploded. And... My dad really wasn't about it, you know what I mean? And went from winning, like, every race all season to, you know, now these other kids are, like, keeping up with me or sometimes beating me. And I wasn't okay with that. I was an ultra-competitive kid. And uh, my dad was like, well, I'm not going to learn it, so you better learn it. And mind you, I'm eight. <laughs> so I'm like what the hell is my dad telling me? My dad knows everything. Like, he's my hero. You know what I mean? Like, I have to learn this? Fine, I will. And uh, so I started paying attention, asking a bunch of questions, asking some of the key people in my life, in the racing life, like, what's this mean? You know what I mean? What do we do? And uh, the other cool story about it was that same year, we go to an indoor concrete race. And I just come off like a, 
long winning streak. I haven't lost all season. And we go to concrete race, and I go out there, and it's, it's a big junior re- indoor race. And I go out there, and the thing didn't turn worth a crap. And I got passed by somebody in a heat race and got, like, second or so, something like that. And uh, the guy that, uh, that came with me and my dad, Bruce Klein, I come off complaining, and he told me something that I still haven't forgotten today. And this is why I race and drive the way I do. Um, I go, it won't turn this thing slow, and I'm kind of like getting like a little brat, as you can imagine, an eight-year-old cocky kid. And uh, he goes, well, what do you want us to do about it when you're out there? You're going to have to change your line, do something out there different for the time being, and then you can come in here and talk to us, and we can try to fix it. But when you're out there racing, you better drive it different to get the most out of it. And still to this day, I race my micron as much as I race the people out there. I'm racing the time. I'm changing my line, trying to pedal it different if you have to at a certain track or whatever. And uh, that's kind of where the accountability comes from because I know I take responsibility. I take accountability in all my uh, results. I don't blame nobody else. And I know it's up to me to get done what I want to get done. So I'm trying. <laughs> that to the other people because it's been kind of successful for me right now i i agree and i think um you know kind of along those same lines i like you said a lot of people do think that they can just go buy something and uh and go right to the front and a lot of times you know that that may work you know, but it's also it might only work for that weekend or two weeks from there and um you know kind of having the the why not just the what you know kind of like your, your philosophy behind it just makes a whole lot more sense but it's also a lot harder you know and um do you so I just want to go back real quick to your your grandfather when he was racing back in the day in the you know like roughly the mid 60s or so was that on dirt or was that asphalt road course what kind of what type of racing was that uh the WK stuff from what I've seen and I got some of his old magazines like you run C open B open that type of stuff and you might know like the karting group that's going around the older guys the vintage karting association or whatever mm-hmm. it, I, I believe it was uh all road course okay yeah it seems like even a lot of guys um i'm not sure you know if you're familiar with ronnie robinson you know a lot of those guys that come from that era like earlier on a, a lot of them were you know road racing and and the gold cup series and and stuff like that i was just kind of curious because i don't i know some people like more in the you know like the 70s ish but i was curious kind of before that and um so yeah. that's pretty cool I, I saw you um did you post so I Facebook stalked you like I do with everyone before this just to kind of get an idea and an overview. There was um, I want to say it was either on your Racex page or maybe you were tagged in. I'm not sure. But um, there was like an old WK issue. It was like an older one. Is that something that you posted? And, or am yeah, I thinking I po- of something? OK, yeah, I posted it. I believe that uh, magazine came after the Barnesville uh, event down in Georgia. They had like mm-hmm. 649 entries or something. Yeah, I saw that on there. Yeah, that was one of my uh, my grandpa's old magazines that I collected. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I got a few of them. I actually just leave them on my coffee table in my basement. Uh, right. If I ever want to go through it, um, it's good nostalgic feel, you know. Like yeah, where we come from. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I. So you're how old are you now? Thirty. I'll be I'll be thirty three. Okay, thirty three. So I, I'm thirty eight. I mean, I started. I started actually racing go-karts in like 88. So when I was around eight, so you've been racing for that long time too. And uh, 
a lot of these new kids don't realize like um and and I'm, I'm hoping you can kind of attest to this too it's like the wk magazine would come out back in the day and i could be riding the bus with someone and because their name alphabetically was earlier they would get it like three or four days before me and then so i'm like waiting you know i'm just you're waiting to get it you know what i mean you finally get it and it's really just the races that happen you know, four or five months ago, you know what I mean? But um, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you did, but I used to go through and just like all the names from everybody and, you know, pick out all the guys that were close to us and stuff like that. It was a, it was a cool thing where now, you know, we're on race monitor and we know before the guy driving who's winning, you know what I mean? It's uh, how times have changed, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Same boat and same thing with uh, the chase and racing magazine. Oh uh, Yeah. That used to be a big pull for the guys up north to uh, come down to some event down in the southeast or whatever to try to get in the magazine because they didn't they those types of magazines didn't really cover events up here. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest voids in our whole industry is that we don't get the exposure or the notoriety, country like nationwide. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We have small events, but to your average Joe, still to this day they have like. They think of the concession carts at your local fun place when they think of go-karts. They don't right. understand how amazing these little vehicles are that we race for thousands and thousands of dollars with, more than you know the big car guys. I have modified and late model guys who can like complain to me every week, like, how are you racing for that much money? Like we have forty thousand dollars in our engine alone. I'm like, well, that's because you're dumb and I'm smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. more money in this stuff you know what i mean so it's like the only thing this industry is missing missing is the exposure you know mm-hmm. what i mean right no i i agree man and i think that um so i i mean i i never had the money you know the opportunity to really go any farther that's kind of how i went to doing tires and, and traveling with the whites from delaware and um but i my personal perspective i've never viewed go-kart racing you know, even 10 or 15 years ago, I never viewed it as a stepping stone for me. And I think maybe within my parameters, it was always an endpoint for me, you know, and um, to see racing go from $500 to, to whatever, which I think it's the payouts are a little crazy now, like how it's divided up and stuff. But just in general, like, I agree. I mean, um, my little brother, my younger brother, he races and there's a guy that has a stock car around here that races. He just has a little go-kart team and he pays for the stuff. And um. I think a lot of those guys, like once they get done racing or they have kids and they don't have the time maybe to put into some of the things they were previously doing, like they're kind of coming back to go-kart racing, um, you know, because it, it has as far as popularity and the cost and things like that is, um, it's you know, it's moving in the right direction. So, um, Oh, I agree completely. Um, let's give a shout out to some people that stepped up as race promoters up in uh, my region, up in the Ohio region, um, Bear um and jamie wheeler who puts on the uh midwest race of champions that Mm -hmm. that event and that series alone that just was created within the past few years uh has just spurred racing in this area tremendously i mean Mm -hmm. we could have been almost a ghost town a few years ago if it wasn't for those two guys stepping up and putting on those races um but it gives people in this area something to look forward to every year uh, that's a lot of what I feel like people don't understand. Like, I used to ask the question to myself, like, what would you do if you didn't race? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. what would you do with all your time? You put so much time and effort into this sport. If you didn't do it, what would you do? And right. 
I still don't have a good answer for it. Like, I see in a questionnaire, like, what are your hobbies? I have one hobby. The rest of my free time when I'm not working my day job um, and I'm not working in the shop, I'm spending with my friends and family. And that's it. Right. And you know, it, it does take, uh, and, and there's always, it, it's kind of deceiving, I think. Um, a lot of the people that I talk to on here, I mean, it's generally higher level racing. Um, just the amount they race or if they have a little side business and the time it takes. But yeah, I just, I don't think some people realize, I mean, there's people get into it and they think, you know, watching the go-kart and working on your go-kart one night a week is, is a lot, you know, and it's, it's like, man, when you're out there two or three nights only doing tires and then every other night doing everything else, uh, it does, it takes up a lot of time. And um, on your kind of, you know, speaking of family and time, am I, there's a couple of pictures. Do you have, do you have a child? Do you have a son, right? Yeah, I have uh, Landon Schneider. He's six. He just six. started basketball yesterday, by the way. Basketball? Yep. Oh, cool, man. Cool. My, uh, I have an eight-year-old, and I kind of one of the things that um, I was just curious. Um, my son, we actually, I have a go kart for him. He's gonna just race a little bit to see if he likes it. I'm not, I'm not gonna just push him into it. But you know, with your son you know, six. So he's getting closer to the age of maybe he's already made some laps or he's about to how, and maybe you've seen over the years, like I've seen a lot of kids that have raced pretty damn hard from like seven to 12 and then get burnt out. How, how do you view him racing? Uh, is he already making laps? Do you think he's going to race? Is it something you're going to wait to see um, how much he bugs you later on? Um, just from a dad's point of view, just from my personal perspective, like how 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 do you look at it, or how is how is that going so far um, with him? Yeah, he's he's been out probably four or five weekends this past. Mm -hmm. I took him to my home track, Crytersville, which is five minutes from my house. Um, twice, I took him to Eldora, Little Eldora Speedway, um, a couple times too. Um, I couldn't not let him do it. Mm -hmm. um, he asked about it. Um, he used to, he would go to races with me, travel the country with me, see me do it. Um, and of course, I think most boys just want to drive anything, right? <laughs> like it doesn't. Right. So I had a go kart that was just sitting in the shop, and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna put it together, let him go cut some laps, see if he likes it, and. Uh, he does. He likes it. He's he's a pretty competitive kid too. Mm -hmm. um, so on my off weekends, um, when I'm not traveling, racing somewhere, I'll take him to a local track. And you know, he's asked the question. You know, when, when can I go to these big races or whatever? And I I always tell him one of the things I always instill in my son is that you have to earn everything you get. And I don't care if it's a piece of bubble gum. I remember him being two, three years old and having to count to 50 for it. Um, so I told him, I was like, you start winning locally, and then you can travel farther out. Gotcha. And so have you ever, like when you introduced him to it, how, um, this is kind of getting into the nitty gritty, but as far as like, so he, you know, he showed some interest, obviously, and you got him out there. Did you put him out there on the track and just let him make laps by himself at first? Was he out there with other kids? Um, how, how did that? Just out of curiosity, how did he actually start? Uh, I, I just threw him to the wolves. <laughs> okay. I did. I mean, um, 
He didn't do the kid cart thing. Um, I'm not saying that's wrong. Right, right. Anyways, right or wrong. But I just wanted him. I thought my grandfather was a racing genius. Uh, he did a lot of things that I didn't see at the time as being a kid. Um, but, you know, uh, I look back on it and I was like, man, he was right. And that man's he was really intelligent. Um, he could see things happening that didn't like the body work mm-hmm. and the tire prep stuff. He thought that that was just a cancer to the racing community. And <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's helping any, that's for sure. Um, right. So- might argue either way, but I would side with him um, because there's not a lot of people like us um, that have seen the racing um, in the late 80s, early 90s and see it today in depth as we see it. Um, We've seen both forms and there's not a lot of people out there like that. I mean, even people racing, I have people up here, old timers up here saying, you know, like our age group was like the last a uh, little generation, so to speak, of people coming from that old form, and they they feel that that mix, you know, being young enough to adapt to the new technology, the tire game, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and not too old to be stuck in your old ways, um, yet old enough to know the old ways and bring them both together. I think right. we're very fortunate to be, you know, the age we are at that time. So. No. Um, one of the things was that grandpa did is just, he didn't start us on a little kitty cart. So what do I do? I don't start him on a little kitty cart. Uh, he kind of just let us have one practice to get used to the controls and then threw us to the wolves. I mean, I remember getting lapped five times a heat race and it was a lap race. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So I didn't care how fast he went. <clears throat> Honestly speaking, he was a lot faster and better than me, but Back then, you could race two, three nights a weekend for 25 weekends, right. and there's just not that availability anymore. So um, I don't think he's going to, as far as a calendar year, it's going to take him more than it took us back when we could race all the time. Right. No, absolutely. And that's and the reason I asked, because um, something that I've been kind of kicking around is so my my brother lives on a farm he has like a little say like a little track i mean it's a decent little track he built out there and i just been thinking about maybe in for a while just taking my son out there and just letting him make like laps and laps and laps and um how do you know i mean i'm just kind of i've been thinking about a lot more than i probably should lately so i was just kind of curious as someone that does have a son and has thought about it and seen it just kind of curious what you thought and i i don't think there's any right way or wrong way like you said i think it's more or less just doing it and seeing what happens, you know, you might get out there the first five laps and flip and say, I'm done with this for the rest of my life, you know, but, uh, if they're like us, they'll get in there and only want to do it more, you know? So yeah, well, I have a few, uh, comments on that. Actually, Landon has been begging me to put a little track in our backyard. So Mm -hmm. he race against me. (laughs) He wants to race against me already. But (laughs) another point, when I used to be in grade school, I would come home, get the yard cart out. Yeah. It's just a yard cart. Right. But, I used to just go out and cut laps the whole time. I mean, from the time I got home from school till mom said it was dinner time. You know what I mean? And I think that's a great thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great training tool. I mean, you're constantly feeling it in your seat. And, you know, by that time I was told, you know, when you're out there driving, make the most out of it. So when I'm out in the yard ruining my mom's yard, um, 
I'm like changing my lines and seeing what it does different, how it feels in my hands and my feet and my butt. Um, so by all means, get a little track and I, I'm going to have that come springtime uh, in my backyard. We'll have a little thing where he can go around and I'll probably set up the micron and a beacon. That way he can look at his lap times and see, you know, try to improve his lap time every time, you know, something like that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's how, you know, when I was the same way with you, man, like when I, I had a little before I was old enough to race, I had a three and a half horsepower go kart. And, and actually, the way the spindles and the um, and everything was, it wouldn't go right around the corner necessarily. I didn't have the radius on it, but like I could go, or I could actually, I could only go right hand turns, not left hand. But um, yeah, I, I think it makes a difference. There's um, there's a kid around here, JB Loomis, that his dad owned. Uh, we live near the beach in Delaware, so they had, you know, it's pretty touristy. So they have a little go kart track that has, um, you know, like the road course ovals and stuff like that. He didn't start racing till he was in his teens or so, but he had made so many laps at his dad's little like fun cart track. By the time he jumped in the learning curve, you know, as opposed to maybe a year and a half or two years was literally like three or four months, you know? And uh, so I, that's why I kind of think a lot about that. And I think we're both kind of on the same, same page, like laps a lap, you know, make as yeah. many as you can. So. Absolutely. Uh, another thing is what I've been doing the past four months that I've added to like my training regimen is eye racing. Uh, way late on the ball, but uh, I talked to Wesley about it a little bit. And actually, it was my dad's idea. Um, he could remember when I was a kid, he said, you'd play a racing game on PlayStation or whatever Saturday morning all the way until we left to go racing. And he said, when you did that, you hit literally every mark. All mm -hmm. of them. And he said that to me because I don't race as much <clears> as I used to. Nowhere near it. You know, like maybe 10 to 15 weekends a year. Um, so... I thought about that. I was like, man, you know what? I've always liked the idea of iRacing, and it seems to be growing even more here recently. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen people winning money on, uh, on iRacing. I was like, man, I better start doing this, see if I'm any good at it, and see if, it'll, if it does take off, I'll be ready to pounce. And uh, <laughs> even the past four months, man, like just racing a few races in between races helps keep me a little more sharp on the wheel. Um, and it, I have escalated. They, start, I don't know if you know how it works with the licensing and stuff. Um, yeah. on iRacing, you start at rookie, then you go to D, C, B, A, and pro. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm already up into the B class, almost A class, knocking on pro license door or whatever. And, um, so it's really cool. You can race any kind of car at any track, dirt, asphalt, road course, whatever. Um, and primarily my focus has been on, you know, NASCAR pavement ovals, and right. it just seems to be more of the cart <clears throat> feet mm -hmm. compared to you know, like a pro late model or something. Right. And I've, uh, it's funny you say that. I mean, quite a few people that I've talked to both, you know, recorded and non-recorded have, are, are pretty heavy into that. And I actually, um, I don't know if you know who Stevie Minson is. He, uh, he does some announcing some, some of the races around yeah. here, like capital city. And, um, We've been we've been trying to hook up here for a few months, but we're going to get together and really do like an in-depth uh, iRacing uh, podcast because I don't – everything you just told me, I had no idea about. You know what I mean? I just uh, – with kids and stuff, I mean, it's hard for me to do it. But, uh, you know, I've, I've actually just been kind of hinting or, you know, like kind of trying to find out more about it because I agree with you. I think that it's um, – 
And it's kind of like basketball and soccer. I mean, everyone plays it throughout the world because it's so easy and it's right there. You know, when you come to go-kart racing or stock cars, the people that can afford to buy it and go travel and do everything is limited. The amount of people that can set up a little iRacing race is it's kind of like the basketball or the soccer ball. You know what I mean? It's just a lot easier to participate in and be like in in a community and stuff, especially with the internet. And um, like you said, they're racing for money, man. It's uh, it's it's a little crazy, you know. It's it's. I mean, I think it's a cool thing, but um, kind of crazy too. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, the culture is nowadays. It seems like people don't want to work on stuff. They'd rather pay somebody else to work on it for them. And uh, and with iRacing, you don't have any maintenance. You don't have any broken – like you can total a car. I've done <laughs> – I wrecked just as much as I want on it. <laughs> but you don't have to pay to fix it. You don't have to actually fix it. Um, right. You don't have to worry about, you know, tires or this or that or, you know, all that shop work hours is gone. Yeah. And once that really catches on and they make like – well, iRacing kind of has – it actually has a better form than what kart racing does. But um, once it gets more exposure and they start putting these events on some type of live feed and get some following, um, that thing's just going to take off. No, I, I agree, man. I've actually – even when I was talking to um, Stevie the other day, I've been kind of questioning him about, um, like, sponsorship and how that all works because um, – I, it's you know it's like everything else man i mean esports they're you know twitch things like that um i probably learn more about it from my eight-year-old than i actually know about it but uh it's you can't deny it you know what i mean it's definitely it's going to be an option for people moving forward and um and i think it would be cool to uh to be able to race go-karts on the weekend and race i racing during the week and and maybe get a ride you know for uh maybe a bigger team or something like that yeah um have you i kind of want to go back to you know, you were talking about you race when you were driving yourself and, um, you know, you're racing the Micron more than anything else. Can So diving in, let's just say you're on like one of your your average, uh, we'll say like a fifth mile, eighth mile dirt track that you're racing on. Like when you say you're searching for a line, like are you, could you kind of like give a little more detail about that for maybe someone that's listening that doesn't have the experience i mean are you looking to move to go-kart entry where you're going to hit in the middle of the corner at the apex your throttle all of the above um is there anything you can maybe add to that for someone listening yeah absolutely uh well the first step of it is is understanding where your micron updates its lap time and making sure all the settings are saved to where you know it'll display that lap time to you for a split second um I guess that's an old habit, and old habits die hard. Um, when I was 11, my grandpa got me started in uh, two-cycle racing So uh, at our local track. The only reason was is because I won like 50 races in a row in the junior division. And then they're like, well, he's 11. you got to be 15. And grandpa was the president. He's like, well, guarantee he kicks your ass. <laughs> and uh, he kind of seen it as a challenge. I'm like, fine. And then uh, – grandpa bought me a yamaha engine actually he said you're gonna race this and stockers um so first race i think i got second stock light and won the yamaha race and um probably because i was just driving the shit out of it i didn't know what i was doing you know what i mean like uh-huh. driving it too much you know and then that next season i had the most wins out of anybody but i also had the most dnfs um but one thing you have to do with the yamaha it has a high-end and low-end carb adjustment, and it had an oil clutch. 
So you really had to watch the temperature on. We had the old Digitron tra uh, tack mounted on the steering wheel, right? It didn't tell you lap times. It just told you RPM and engine temp. And Grandpa told me how to use the carb. And if it got too hot, you know, to be able to, you know, keep it cool. So I was always looking at the mic, uh, well, the Digitron at the time, every straightaway. So with the Micron and racing the lap times, I was kind of bored. Like I, with stockers, you don't really have to watch the temperature. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I'm going on a straightaway, like checking the trees out and stuff. Like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, in all seriousness, uh, when they started displaying the lap times, um, it just gave me something more I could do in the seat. And I always try to do as much as I can and get the most out of it whenever I'm out there. And uh, so I figure out where the lap time's updating. And then I'll just, by feel, cut a lap. I mean, I've been doing it for 25 years now. It's, it, it's hard to put into words sometimes um, what you're doing. And I've thought about that a long time, trying to teach Landon or looking forward to teaching him what he's got to do. And um, so basically what I'm doing is I go out there and just run as good as I can. I don't overdrive it in practice or the race at first. I just go out there and go as fast as I can. And um, It's really hard when you're in the lead. It's a lot easier for me when I'm in second, third, or fourth um, to judge off the person in front of me on how what kind of pace we need to go at that time. Um, but let's say I'm out in the lead. Um, I just go what I feel comfortable with. And then I continue, like, let's say I got a lift getting into one, um, and I try to lift less, or maybe I try to trail break, um, or I try to, like, control slide it into the corner, you know, turn it in and get the rear end of uh, y'all a little bit, mm -hmm. and, and try different times <clears throat> of, and it's how you lift out of the throttle, too, or it's how you squeeze the brake, the uh, brake drag, it's, you know, it's just all that feel that you're fine-tuning, and there's a lot of different factors, but you can snap the wheel to the left to really set it, or you can just try to roll in there, or you can even it's, or you can even enter on the bottom and then try to dime in the corner. It's just, just get creative would be my best advice, you know. Um, go out there, and uh, you got to just cut a bunch of laps and get that feel to see what, what different driving techniques can do to the handling of a any vehicle it don't have to be a go-kart to be honest with you it can be anything uh, i learned that with uh the big car driving i do uh from my day job um it, it all is the same engineering um if you dive into the corner you're gonna push up off so with that being said with the go-kart if the track is really really free and loose on entry you should probably dive it in on the bottom and woe it down and, and, and hug the apex instead of hanging it up high to try to carry a bunch of speed up off. Um, that's the best example I think I can give on that type of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I've, I've actually taken uh, probably my wife more and more than one time, like, like you said, even like in just a regular car and like try to break it down, like going around a corner, not even fast, but you can still all the same mechanics, the transfer. I mean, it, it feels a little bit different, but it all happens, you know, and um, to try to kind of explain to someone, especially like in a maybe like a truck, like an F-150 that kind of rolls over a little bit. It's even better, I think. But um, mm -hmm. as far as um, so just kind of when you're talking about racing and stuff like that. 
are you generally so you're you're located more um like i guess more like the northwest ohio roughly yeah yeah Yeah, north midwest somewhere okay and um are you i'm assuming that's more of a burst country racing is that typically the only type racing out there do you guys also run maxis uh, yeah, this is what you would call Burris country, I guess. Um, most tracks have a Burris tire rule. Um, mm-hmm. One track tried to do that, like tried to do a Maxis tire series for a year, and it's, right. it's closed. Yeah. Um, we just, we, we know what goes into uh, the Maxis tire and how much work it takes and yeah, maybe we could get away with it, but um, the guys down in the southeast, man, they have it. They have it down to a science. They've got it that tire maximized for every application, and they got a big money backing. It's not coming out of their own pocket. Somebody's paying for it, usually some mm-hmm. old guy. Um, nothing wrong with that. Right. But, you know, in the Midwest, that's just not our culture. It's not our culture to spend hundred thousand dollars on go-kart racing you know it's Mm -hmm. our culture to spend maybe ten thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars yeah sure um but not that much money we just we don't have the that kind of backing so with that track they try to do the maxis tire and you know it's just not as fast as a burris tire to be honest with you either i mean um the tar heel nationals in 2017 i went down there first time ever and me and Austin and Shay went almost three quarters of a second faster than they went the previous year on Maxis. Now, maybe the conditions were right, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we had to do a lot less work to that tire to go that fast. Right. See what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. less money put into that tire with chemical. So it's like enough people up here know that the burst tire is more user-friendly. So it's mm-hmm. like, for our culture, it seems to work best. Um, for your average Joe, it seems to work best. Um, so we don't have the opportunity to run a bunch of Maxis. I know getting ready for the Big O for a couple years or a Maxis race down there, I would have some up here and I would scuff them in. We have a couple of tracks that do a good scuffing, which is another problem, I think, with the Maxis tire. You know what I mean? Like, you got to find a good track to scuff it in. Sometimes you got to at least have that in the trailer to be able to have that as an option at a racetrack. But, uh, so no, not really. Um, it's mainly Burris. I would say 99.9% Burris around here. And, well, and that's what I thought. And, um, yeah, I mean, as far as I, I'm, I would say I'm relatively new to the Burris world, but yeah, as far as Maxis go, um, and I, like I said, I, I've heard really good arguments for both, man. And I, it's almost one of those things like it's kind of what you run is kind of dictated what region you live in. You know, there's, um, you know, you guys run Burris, the Southeast, it's more, you know, the Maxis and we, you know, living in Delaware, I'm kind of like right in the middle of everything. So it's like, you can go North and run Burris and PA. Um, some of the classes are actually, I think the Virginia state series is maybe adding like a, a clone heavy to try the Burris and stuff like that. And, um, I think there's room for everyone, but it's, probably like you guys i mean once you're committed and you've invested and you know you have what you need it's hard to make that transition to just go buy 10 more sets of brand new tires you know Um, it's a little crazy but um 
when you, as far as, you know, for the burst racing, um, you offer tire preps, correct? That's right. Um, let's, sometimes it's hard for us, I think, to, and you're in it for so long to kind of remember like some of the questions and some of the thoughts that go through beginners' minds. But if you were, say, if, um, if I went and bought a go-kart for my son that's going to run, you know, whatever, junior restricted, I buy a used go-kart. Um, if I wanted to run burst country where you guys are just more on a local level, um, the regional level, how many sets of tires would I need? And roughly how would I want to get started as far as the tire program? If I was new to the burst arena, um, and any, any, maybe not exactly how to do it, but any tips on maybe some things to try to accumulate as far as, um, you know, your, your inventory. I mean, I know some of the tire rules are dictated. You can only run it either that year or the previous two years. Some are open. Um, that's kind of a mouthful. I kind of ramble on sometimes, but, uh, just someone kind of getting started. That's fairly new to the sport. How would you suggest they get started? Um, as far as their inventory goes for burrows racing? Yeah. First I would, uh, I would ask what's your budget, right? Yeah. Uh, but in general, I would say, let's use the Ohio championship cart series, for example, there's five races a year, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I would suggest to somebody, and let's just say they have a few thousand dollars or whatever, a couple or two thousand dollars for a tire budget for the year or whatever, I would say go find um, five U sets, five U sets with medium, you know, with some good decent rubber on them, not corded tires, right? Just five U sets and buy five brand new sets to start the year, and that's it. Okay. And so I had these new sets. I sent them to Phil Snyder and he's going to cut them for me. Right. Yep. The, the, the five new sets. Um, so let's say if I have a, a little selection from low to medium rubber burst that I bought used and I'm going to give you five new sets and say, Hey, man, cut them. How, how would you cut those to kind of give me a good selection for my burst program with new tires? I'll just cut them the same way. I always cut tires. I cut all my tires the same, except okay. one place, and that was Dumplin' Valley. And that's uh, shut down, right? Yeah, that's shut down. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're doing all the tires the same now for everywhere. Yeah. All right. <laughs> easy, uh, I easy. I that out there because I did have to uh, change the profile quite a bit for that place. Um, for what I do, um, an tire that I cut and the prep that we use – we just would always go down to Dumplin' Valley and get our asses kicked. Mm -hmm. And the tire rolled too good, and it was too free in the corner. It wouldn't screw up a bunch of speed. So we just really had to round those tires down. I mean, I went through multiple sets of tires and just cut the corners off of them. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll cut them all the same way, and we'll just eliminate that variable. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't think racing, especially in the Midwest – is sustainable to have three, four different cut tires. I mean, some guys, they do good things, right? And you do, you can maximize the tire a little bit more with the profile, obviously. But uh, I found one. You could classify it as a semi-round profile uh, if, if you had to. That way it, it meets you right in the middle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you needed... Mm -hmm a flat true cut versus an ultra round like a dump, um, then you would be somewhere in the middle and you at least have a fighting chance, right? And 
I've had more than a fighting chance for the past three years. So um, I think our, our profile that we have now will satisfy any condition. And you can adjust your prep and air pressure to fine tune it to where it needs to be. On, so with Dumplin' Valley, what, what were the characteristics of that track that kind of forced you to go with a different, um, you know, the different profile on the tire? Was it, I mean, what, is it just uh, the banking of it? I mean, the moisture that comes up in the evening? I've never been there, so I'm a little unfamiliar. I've heard some stories about the dump before. It's a little crazy. But um, what, are, what are some of the characteristics in case there is someone that's like, man, I have a track like that, and I've been running like shit, and um, maybe I need to try something different? Well, <laughs> that's really – I don't know that anybody has the right answer, but this is my guess. Um, hey, we're all, we're all guessing anyway, man, so it's all good. <laughs> go for it. I think the main thing was it's got really good size. So you get traveling pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the layout of the track, you kind of like dip into three and four, which really unloads the go-kart. And it's wide enough to where you need to be full throttle. So if you can't get it calmed down, <coughs> bless you. If you can't get it calmed down, Getting into three, then uh, you scrub way too much speed. So you really need a tire that really sticks, keeps you uh, planted to the racetrack and producing speed to carry up because you kind of come up out of um, a hole in the middle of three and four, and you got to climb a little embanking out of four. And if you're not ripping up out of there, the rest of the track, I mean, you're just you're behind. Um, right. So. And the track changes with the wind. Um, so you kind of got to fine tune on your prep and air pressure and stuff. And um, it's just slick, man. Super slick. And it does usually have a lot of moisture. So I think with all those combinations in play, mm-hmm. the high speeds down the straightaway, the dip in three and four. Uh, the hill coming up out of four, trying to carry momentum on a wide racetrack. You just have to do all that you can to put all the bite you can in the tire to keep you ripping around that place. Oh, man. Hey, man, I think that was a good guess. It sounds like it was the right one anyway. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Um, not knowing much about kind of like the Midwest racing in general, uh, it seems like over the past, uh, I don't know, we'll say like 10 years roughly, a lot of like this, the Southeast tour and stuff like that has gone more towards more events than series racing. How in the Midwest, I mean, I know you guys have the, the Midwest race of champions, which I, I remember watching that a little bit last year. I had, I was surprised with how many people were showed up there. You know, it was, a, it was probably one of the bigger fields I think I saw all year anywhere. And, um, but do you guys race, is it more big races that people go to and kind of stick more towards their regional series throughout the year? Or is there a group of people just like down south that just go hit all the big money races wherever they are out in the Midwest? It's more you just hit the big races when they come yeah. up. Um, yeah. With the exception of what Bear is doing with the Ohio Championship Kart Series. I think that's a really good thing. Um, and I think that'll grow even more. I think it's in second year. It used to just be uh, champ carts, but Mm -hmm. 
but then they expanded it to clone uh, medium, heavy, and super heavy, and junior three. So they have very limited number of classes. They usually run with uh, whatever local tracks classes are out there, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a good, good thing too. Um, but that's really the only series we have in Ohio or Indiana or even Michigan for that matter. I know um, down in southern Kentucky, they're kind of doing a big three series or something like that, kind of similar. So they're few and far between. Nothing compared to what, you know, the tri-state used to be. Right. Which would be cool. And me and Wesley's talked about it before. Like, we see seem to think that there's a um, a gap there in our industry for a, a organizing body, a sanctioning body, and a series with a badass banquet at the end of the year to have a party and have something to look forward to, at you know, when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he, he um he did he touched base on that. I can't remember if we recorded it or if we were talking outside of that. And um, it, it has, and it's almost been created more, you know, with the tri-state leaving. And uh, there is kind of like a gap where there's a, a lot, you know, there's the local racing and there's the high-level racing and kind of everything in between. Um, you know, really running towards like a series and winning a, you know, back in the day the national championship was based on you know, four or five races and transfers, not just, you know, a single event and stuff, um, which is all different. I mean, I guess it's a little bit for everyone. Um, how did you, you know, talking to Wesley, how did, um, how long have you rode his go-karts? How did you get hooked up with him uh, riding uh, the kinetic chassis? Um, what was it? 2017 for Thanksgiving Thunder. He needed a clash of it. Uh, he needed an outsider driver for that race down there. And I don't remember exactly how it went down, but I think we always knew of each other. We just didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we just became friends on social media and Snapchat. And now he's, you know, one of the best friends I got. We talked a lot. I actually have a few messages from him right now. Just replied to him as we're doing this. But, uh, um and he's highly intelligent man and he's a hard worker um he knows what he's doing he's building a great thing with kinetic you mentioned mikey earlier i'll throw cole and alex Aki in there um uh, now now we got now Preston sparks down in florida um he he's so in depth in his thinking um you know he went out he's trying to he's trying to He's like David going versus Goliath, you know, with the mm-hmm. car manufacturing thing. Um, he doesn't have all this backing like they do or other industries funneling their car manufacturing. But, uh, you know, he's went out and he's did a great thing. You know, he's had Mikey for a while. Um, so that satisfies the Western um, states, you know, or the Midwest as they call it. But I call it Western and then he's got Aikies killing it in Pennsylvania and New York. Dan Marsden as well in the Northeast. He's got me in the Midwest. And now he's got uh, Preston Sparks down in Florida, you know, mm-hmm. repping down there. So if you mm-hmm. see what his, his framework is, you know what I mean? He's got mm-hmm. young guys 
in their 20s, low 30s, who are have been doing it for a long time, who are really great in their area, servicing that area. So I, I applaud them. I, I don't know that I would have put all that together, but he sure as heck did. And, um, I, I like to think I can um, – we think a lot alike. Um, I'll stay humble and saying that he's – you know, he makes me scratch my head at times, let's just say. And I just enjoy our conversations and stuff like that. And I think, you know, I think we both value our friendship more than our uh, business partnership there. And, um, you know, he uh, – we did that and we, it was kind of last minute for that Thanksgiving Thunder Outsiders race. And I told him, I was like, man, I want, I need an opportunity to come down here and showcase, you know, what I've done my whole life. And he seemed like the right vehicle to do that uh, with all his knowledge on tires and chassis and stuff like that. And, um, he saw that I could benefit him as well. And we kind of just put that together and became friends and the rest is kind of history. You know, last year, um, well, it's two years ago now, we went to Thanksgiving Thunder, the World 100, won big races at both of them, went to Daytona, got real close and all pro um, at Daytona um, right there in that stretch. You know, and it was kind of made me think, like, man, if we race down there every week, me and him, like, that they would be talking about that for a while. <laughs> Um, we just did it, you know, over the phone and it just is a testament to how smart he is to make that much speed, um, with, with what he's got. And he, you know, he does it all. He builds the engine, the chassis, the tire, um, you know, and he's smart. He, he surrounds himself with, with good people, smart people. Um, but that's kind of how we all got hooked up at, it almost seems like we both found each other. We both wanted to do something and we had a conversation and the rest is history. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard to disagree with anything you just said, you know, listening to, um, yeah, first time I literally ever talked to him was the time we did the podcast and, you know, just super intellectual guy. Like I, I kind of thought I was, you know, I talked to, I talked to my brother who races after that. I was like, man, it's hard not to want to go get one of those go-karts after listening to him. Rather you think he's where you want to be right now. I mean, he's definitely, like you said, moving in the right direction, surrounding himself, you know, building it. It seems, and it appears from a distance that it's, um, he's really taking time to build the foundation. So when things really take off, uh, it won't come, you know, crumbling down. Like a lot of people grow too fast and just, it ends up not being a great thing. And uh, I just, just to add on to some of the people too, I think Kyle Ezel over in um, like the Virginia area is also uh, selling some of it. And he kind of fits the same description, you know, younger, been racing forever. And um, Yeah, you're right. I, yeah. I, I know how to forget somebody. <laughs> no, no, that's okay, dude. And, uh, and uh, you know, the Aiki guys, I've, you know, I kind of keep up with them. I want to, I'm trying to spread it out. Like you said, I, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get kind of pigeonholed to the the Southeast and guys that I've, are a little more familiar with. So I'm trying to kind of, you know, branch out. This is definitely one of the people I'd like to get on here too. And um, Dan Marsden, I reach out to him. I want to get him on here sometime in the future, maybe a little closer to the season, but um, yeah, man, you definitely, you guys, like your, your whole network, you know, him, you, like all you guys together. Um, it definitely seems like you, you know, at least building a great foundation 
moving forward. So it's got to feel good. Not not wondering if the Chastity guy is going to be there next week or, you know, some of the guys kind of come and go and and don't really take the time to really um, invest the time to build their brand. So it's, it's good to see. Yeah. And yeah, sorry, man. And um, like when it comes to you, uh, so let's talk about racics, like kind of the racing basics, your deal, like what you do. Um, how, so when did you decide to kind of start your own, I guess your own little speed shop and, and, you know, do tires and setups and things like that. How did, how did that come about? And, and uh, where are you now with it? And where would you like to go in the future? Um, yeah, I actually refused to do it for many years. Uh, people asking me to do it. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Because I knew it would, there would be a learning curve and it would take away from my racing program. The, the attention that I would have to put into it, the effort I would have to put into it, would, has to come from somewhere, right? Balance mm-hmm. of equation. It would come directly from... Uh, either I would take it away from my family and friends or I'll take it away from my own program and I will refuse to take it away from my family and friends. So there's only one place left. It would come from uh, my own racing program and that was something I never wanted to compromise. Um, so I refused and I refused and I refused and then seeing what was happening in our community up here in our region, there was uh, – certain people that um, was selling prep or saying they would cut tires and I would see the quality of their product. I'm like, man, that's just shit. Like, and it's cut down prep. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. people aren't getting a product to help them enjoy the sport that I love. And I'm just like, and they, the whole cart count was down everywhere. It was like people were getting in, but they were getting right back out. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, man, somebody needs to step up and provide these people with service and quality product. And and everybody's complaining about the tire game and tire prep and too many of them and they don't know what they mean and they can't get any support. And, and I was like, I bit the bullet. Um, I made a very basic simple prep line that covers virtually every scenario you could come across in the Midwest with the Burris tire. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to make it as simple as possible. That way a guy getting into carding can just say, I'm going to buy a race six prep line and I won't have to question it. The prep description applications right on the prep label on every bottle. Um, and it's real simple. And um, the cutting tires deal, um, you know, people were just hacking up people's tires. And I'm just like, man, whatever. So I started doing it on my own at first, and I couldn't keep up. So um, I brought in one of my buddies, Eric Woolison, who, if it wasn't for him, I don't even know if I would have hit a track this year. Um, with all the work that has happened in the shop and, and more than that, that gives us a time, you know, to hang out and, you know, talk about life and all that good stuff. And I really enjoy those talks, but yeah, Eric has, uh, been a, been a blessing in the shop this year and I look forward to him, uh, continuing coming and working and hanging out. And I mean, I'm sure you know how, 
how it is in the shop when you're by yourself versus having a friend in there with you. You know, mm. time seems to go a lot better and easier when you when you have some friends in the shop with you getting stuff done. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he comes in. He he learned how to um, cut the tire real fast. Um, I still am, I still keep the prep stuff. I do all that. I I mix all that in my big mixing jugs and stuff. Um, but yeah, um, that's kind of where we're at now. We we cut. You know, we don't cut a lot of tires and we don't sell a lot of prep. Um, and that's kind of how I want to keep it. That's how I like it. I'd prefer just the four two crew guys, um, you know, the kinetic guys, uh, to be the only ones on it because I know we have a distinct advantage when we got it and they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But if somebody new um, is looking for it, obviously we're going to help them out. And it, it doesn't. You don't just buy prep from us. You don't just get your tires cut from us. Um, I work with an entire balance. You know what I mean. I work with your kids on how to drive the racetrack. Um, that's what I, I just feel that comes with it. It's not just a, uh, you buy a product, you're gone at a grocery store. Not with me, I care too much. That's my problem probably. That's what I've been told anyway. So um, mm-hmm. you get the, the full Monty when you know you go racing with us and I don't know, I mean, the community seems to like it so far. So as long as they like it, I'll keep doing it. No, absolutely. And- and um, if someone, you know, wanted to run your prep and tires, is that something – I know some some shops, uh, some manufacturers and stuff, they like to stick to all their guys being on the same chassis, uh, whatever it may be. Do you prefer that everyone's on the Kinetic? You Will you help out anyone that's, you know, willing to pay the bill and kind of fits the the profile, the customer you're looking for? I mean, how, how does that work for you and your little – your crew? This is – but I can just reiterate a conversation I had yesterday when a guy and his son was over at the shop uh, picking up the prep line. Um, they're thinking about buying a new cart. And I said, well, they're like, what do you think? And I was like, well, I think the 2020 Kinetic is, you know, the best performing one on the market. Um, Kinetic in general, I know the the thoughts and engineering that went into it designing it the way it was. And I know how meticulous Wesley is on the quality of the product that comes out of his shop. Um, and on top of that, I know that go-kart. I know exactly what balance you need anywhere you want to go. All I have to do is see a picture of the track if I've never been there. And I can tell you where that go-kart needs to be set up or how it needs to be set up. Um, not discrediting any other manufacturer. Premier obviously is performing really well. Mm-hmm. Chargers obviously performing really well. You know, um, so I'm not going to discredit anybody. But like I tell them, a go kart's only as good as you know how to work on it. And if you want my support, then I'm going to be better for you if you're on a kinetic than. A project. I don't. I don't set up a charger. You know what I mean. Right. I haven't one for multiple years now. I've been working with Wesley and developing these go karts and working on these go karts. I have. I haven't done that with any other manufacturer. Do I think we could get something close? Sure, but I would prefer 
and you would prefer if you were on a kinetic because I would be a better tool for you then. And and what was the dad's answer? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> I got to go talk to mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, uh... so, I mean, he understood. And, and of course he would understand because it's the truth. You know what I mean? It's very logical. And that's what I try to be. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's it's one of your tools, and it's um, you know, if, if you go build houses all day and you're used to tool A, well, if you use tool B, it'll work, but like it might take you longer to get the uh, precision that you need on the molding, or, you know, or whatever. It's just like you said, it's one of your tools, and I'm the same way with prep and stuff. I mean, it's you know, all preps will work, but it's like if you don't know what's in it, how are you going to make it work? You know, so exactly. That's one of the things I like about the rest basics prep line too is uh, you got your base prep, which you probably know twenty four seven. And then you have two additives. You have rocket boost and rocket reducer. And what they do is in the name. And both those chemicals are in the base prep. So not only is rocket boost like the qualifying prep you need no matter what. And then at Eldora, we have a local track up here that you only want to use the reducer. But they're both in the base prep. Right? Mm -hmm. Both of those are. So you can fine tune your base prep with those two additives and you know as well as I do any big team any big tire guy fine tunes his prep at the racetrack that day mm -hmm. so that's one of the unique characteristics of the race prep line is you can fine tune it even further to match that exact scenario whereas no other prep line can really do that Right. And then there's yep. a fourth anomaly prep that I just came up with this concoction for when it rains, me and some friends, <laughs> that will kick anybody's butt on Burris tires when it's raining out. <laughs> so I had to throw that in there to cover the, the rainy situation. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> I like that. I mean, I... I mean, I see. I'm actually on your website right now, the um, your Facebook page, and I, I didn't realize that. Uh, I like that whole concept of you know of the base being both those preps, but just being able to fine tune it. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, I think it. I don't think the average person should go buy a prep and start to try to fine tune it. I mean, I'm a big you know run it for a couple of months, wait until there's something consistent, and then start kind of fine tune it and stuff. But um, I like that plan. I like that a lot. Um, for so, and I don't, like I said, I don't know much about burst racing, but um, if you don't mind, for your, for your racing in general, if you were going to go to a race, um, say, two weeks from now, and, you know, you have your tires, you kind of think, you know, what you're going to do, like, when do you start preparing them, or how, how often do you resurface them, um, how far in advance? Uh, I mean, you don't have to touch each one of those. I don't want you to tell any kind of secrets you think you may have, but um, just like on the average person, like, give them an idea, maybe someone that is going to try running the Virginia state race this year and, uh, and try the burst, you know, try the burst class. Maybe that's never run them. Um, any kind of just general maintenance tips you could give those people. Yeah, absolutely. Refinish all your tires before going, maybe the weekend before. Okay. Put a fresh finish on burst. If they sit there and just, they get this weird hue to them. Um, it, they're just not going to grip good. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might have to over prep at the track and if you have to over prep at the track if it's that type of track then you, you'll be behind the eight ball 
best thing you can do is just have a nice fresh finish. Um, check the durometer, check the thickness of all your tires, write it down, document it. That way you can fine tune that at the racetrack and, um, you know, have some old ones, have some fairly new ones and have some new ones. Then you have three types of tires and then you tune there. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of shooting in the dark here, but someone I talked to a while back, um, I don't know if this will make sense or sound familiar, but is there a, I want to say a membership. I don't know if that's the right uh, word for it, but do you have something where if people want to be a part of or access to your notes or your tires or that you have like a membership that someone can pay and then they have access maybe to some sort of information that is generally not out there? Does anything like this make sense or am I like going totally off base here? No, it does. Uh, okay. It used to. I used to. Okay. Um, well, the, the reason why was <clears throat> I didn't want people to just get this information and then just funnel it out. Um, right. This was supposed to, this is supposed to be for somebody, remember the whole racics concept, the accountability, the responsibility. Um, you're coming to me to ask for help. I raced for 25 years and I don't, other people have raced for longer than that and they don't have this information. What I'm saying is, is I put my heart and soul and and a lot of thought into figuring a lot of this stuff out. Now, if you want to go and do it, that's fine. Um, But if you're coming to me for that and you want to be on the 4-2 crew, um, I was making them pony up 500 a year. Um, It seems like a lot, right? But for one race, you can pay a guy how many hundreds of dollars? And we're talking about a whole season, 12 mm-hmm. period. Um, but for our culture up here, people weren't really excited about paying 500 bucks just to be a part of something. And I get it. So I've since adjusted that a couple times. The first iteration was, okay, it's 50 bucks a month. It's like a cell phone bill. And you get setup sheets, tire sheets, game plan, whatever. And yeah, that's all right. But we just don't race enough up here to justify that either. So then it's like, then I made another iteration. I was like, all right, well, if you get your tires and prep through us and you're on a kinetic, you're just a part of it. Period. Okay. No membership fee. So that kind of solved two things that I wanted to solve anyways is, you know, get people um, on our stuff so we can best help them with the cart and the tire and the prep and just build the community. Gotcha. I like that. I, when I first heard about that, because I, for years, I mean, there was, a, there was a period of time, like a year, I think that I, I mean, my only job was go-karts. I was selling prowlers and you know, doing tires and stuff like that. But it, it does, it gets to the point sometimes where, um, and you've probably come across this as well, especially with, uh, for me, it's been a lot more with like parents, you know, like they're only coming around to ask you questions to try to help your kid when they're spending, you know, a thousand dollars every month with someone else for stuff. And it's, it always sat kind of wrong to me, but I can never figure out a way to put like that membership together and kind of make people pay for it. And uh, I just always kind of went back to, 
to helping the whites from Delaware, I always told their dad, I was like, I'd rather listen to one dad be pissed off than 10 of them. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'd, I'd rather make a little less money and just take my, you know, a couple hundred bucks and just go make that without having to deal with everything else. Cause it, it does get stressed. You know, a lot of times people are racing outside of their means and when something goes wrong, it's, it's not just, Oh, okay. No big deal. I lost a hundred bucks. It's like, man, I'm, you know, there's, I mean, there's guys out there. I think I've done it before. I mean, I miss it insurance truck payments you know back when i was younger just to race and um there's a there's a lot of baggies that come along with uh the racing sometimes that uh that you don't necessarily need or want you know so. yeah exactly um i yeah there's just for anybody who thinks that we're making a bunch of money or anything like that that's just so untrue in this industry um there might be a handful of guys out of hundred thousand that are in business that are making decent money you know what i mean right um i know with us it all gets put right back into it every penny goes right, right. back into the operation so it's we do enough to help and try to grow the sport where we're at and that's about it i'm not looking to retire from my day job anytime soon i'll tell you that right uh all right so we've talked about talked about your shop and stuff like that um kind of just want to get back to your racing in general um so you're we're going into 2020 it's the beginning of january right now when you're putting together say like your personal race schedule where you're actually going to try to run um how how do you go about that? What is what's your outlook for this year coming up as far as uh, some of the bigger races or series that you're kind of planning on doing? And do you only go to races when you're racing, or do you also try to um, like for your customers and stuff? Do you show up to races and just hang out in the um, you know in and the pits and do tires and help people like that? How does uh, how how does your race year and weekends usually look? Yeah, it's kind of based on. Um when they release the information, you know, we're at the mercy of the promoters. So <laughs> usually there's a huge Ohio Valley card association swap meet, um, in Dayton down by Dayton, Ohio. Uh, people come from all over. It's almost like the PRI show of cart racing, especially for the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a great opportunity for promoters to s send out flyers or come out with their series information or whatever. Um, so usually, and that's usually the, the first Saturday of February. So <clears throat> I wait till then, you know, racing really doesn't get started up here until April. Um, but for this year, since there's lack of information, um, this is our general plan. We will um, <clears throat> race the Ohio Championship Cart Series again, try to defend the title there. Um, I know... Uh, Steve Horner is hooked up with Clay City Cartway now in um, Kentucky, and they're planning on having quite a few races, including the Overton again. Um, so we'll plan on racing Clay City as much as possible. Um, of course, every year we'll do the Midwest Race of Champions. Um, only a two-time winner of that event. Really would like to get the third one there kind of solidify it a little bit more um and then whatever pops up and then if wesley gets frisky mm -hmm. uh, 
travel down to the southeast and run a couple of big ones. Probably we'll we'll do the big O again, no matter mm-hmm. what. Um, simply because you don't need a huge tire rotation to go down there and compete. Right. Um, so we're definitely going to do the big O, and um, hopefully the King of the Concrete. You know, hopefully we get to do that. Um, I know they had some renovating going on in that building this year and missed out, but hopefully they get back on track next year. Uh, we'll see. Now, did you win? Did you win a race at King of Concrete in the past few years? Was there a picture I saw? I think. Yeah, I've won every damn race except the uh, fifty lap <laughs> cart race. <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. won the big race Friday night. I've won prelim races on Saturday. I won the buggy race that was the exact same format exact same drivers uh with my buddy sam longenbach who is a champ cart guru um it was like an 01 nemesis buggy (laughs) Hmm. and uh we pulled it off you know that was pretty awesome so we basically won everything except the one i got disqualified a couple times where i was going to win the flat cart race it's like um my eleanor race um, just for some reason, something always happens or just wasn't our day that day or whatever. So, um, that's why I keep going down, try to get that monkey off the back there. But, uh, yeah, we won everything there except that one fifty lap race. Do you like outdoor racing or indoor racing better? I guess uh, grass is always greener on the other side. Right. Right now, you want to be outdoors. In the summer, you want to be indoor. <laughs> yeah, they both have their pros and cons, right? Like uh, outdoors is less strict on your diet. It's <laughs> uh, less strict on your physique. Indoor racing, I'm 6'1", 170. Uh, ideally, an indoor concrete racer would be four foot one. <laughs> 80 pounds, right? right? So I'm like on the wrong side of the spectrum there. And I've been right, and the guys that do it, there's like five to 10 of them that are just amazing drivers. Um, you would never say God blessed them with a small stature, except mm-hmm. for indoor concrete racing. So, right. uh, but they did, uh, and they do. So um, that's always made me try harder for concrete racing because I knew that I wasn't the ideal size and I love it when people doubt me. So, um, that's what I love about concrete racing is I'm at a disadvantage and I like to see if I'm able to overcome it. Um, but it's a lot, it's hard work, man. Refinishing the tires at the track, cleaning them up after getting all sticky and stuff. Um, it's, it's really, really, really hard work. And that's why that form of racing is kind of, really took a dive in the past 10 years is because it's so hard and there's a few elite guys that are either too stupid or too stubborn to quit doing it (laughs) Um, and nobody wants to go pay a bunch of money work their asses off and get their ass beat by the same five people right so but as far as driving it it is way funner than dirt because it's way faster you're more out of control. You're always on that edge of wrecking. So I prefer that style of driving. Uh, I, I understand why some people don't, but as far as the driving aspect of it, I like the concrete stuff better. 
as far as working on the stuff, I like the dirt aspect better. So right. it's kind of like a 50-50. Gotcha. For, so when we get back to, let's see, so your racing in general, I mean, you've, you've won a bunch of, you know, big races over the years. Are there, what are some of your favorite, you know, some of your favorite moments over the years, even going back to, um, you know, when you first started, uh, not that you had to win a big race, but what are some of, maybe like the two or three things that have really stuck out over the years um, that you'll, you know, carry on with you and really pass along to your son and uh, any of the big races that you'll, maybe he didn't get to see that you like to tell him about one day. Um, yeah. There's so many of them, honestly. Uh, some that stick out was the first thousand to win race I ever won. I got the check on the wall. It was in 2004. Um, it was at my home track in front of my family. Uh, started 11th. They had like 70 entries. They had like a K main. Um, we were fortunate wow. enough to transfer in uh, through the heat races, mind you. We didn't qualify. Um, I started 11th and got lucky kind of getting a caution with three to go. Um, the leader was out of straightaway, and I restarted him. I passed him into one and won the race. And I was 17, um, funding my whole operation, needed 1000 bucks to go race the next weekend because <laughs> I put it all in on that race. Uh, my dad was there. Somebody snapped a really cool picture where I jumped up in the air, and he caught me and stuff. And um, I'll never forget that one. That was a big one. Um, the king of the concrete buggy race, the 50 lapper, because even though it wasn't the flat cart, it felt like I finally got that monkey off my back. I won the, it, you know, making 50 laps in that race is hard enough, but to beat some of the guys that do it, um, that means a lot. There's a lot of resources and intelligent people that try to win that race. Um, Bourbon City. In 2017, I was racing for Mike Dickerson out of his trailer, which I'll never forget. And thank him again today for uh, it was an honor just to have Mike Dickerson say, "You're one of the only people I'd ever let drive my stuff." I was gonna say as soon as you said that name, I mean that's a that's a legendary name even to someone that's on the East Coast. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, he's uh, he's they call him the King. There you go. That's right. The, the uh, the tear that he had in the in the early 2000s with Brent and Brian Smith, and I don't even know who all else was in his crew then, but I just remember being a teenager, like, looking up to him, like, I'm going to be better than him someday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he was my target. Mm -hmm. So um, for him to say, come racing with me, it was after his bad wreck at SEMO at the insane one the year before. I was there for that. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that, not to cut you off, man, but that's probably, I mean, I've been to a lot of stock car races, a lot of go-kart racing everywhere. And that's probably, I mean, that was the one moment in my life. Like I thought, I, I literally, I thought, I thought that he was dead, man. Like I scared the shit out of me and uh, we were watching, you know, from the top of the trailer, but it, that was just one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. It was anyway. like, it was like the Dale Earnhardt wreck at Daytona. It looked very similar. He got turned right into the concrete wall. Yeah, and then he was just literally laying right on the track, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, like, get you off base. No, it just That's no, one totally thing that's, like, uh, stuck out. But, no, I mean, definitely, you know, if he listens to this, man, anytime he'd want to be on here, that's perfect. But, um, yeah, that's awesome to have someone of that stature, uh, 
you know, let you ask you to, to ride his ride. And that's awesome. Yeah. He's super intelligent, man. He's, you can't do what he's done and not be highly intelligent and have a work ethic. Like you would not believe that guy eat, breathes and sleeps go-kart racing. And anybody that does that, you know, I share the passion and I love, I love it. So, um, he, he, uh, this story is really cool. I will, uh, Next time I talk to him, you know, I'll give you a shout out and say, man, you need to get on here and um, educate people on getting to know you better and uh, know where you come from. Because some of the long rides in the truck to and from the races with him are some of my great memories that I've been blessed to have in this sport. And his story is awesome, man. I mean, I'll definitely uh, I would definitely listen. That's for sure. Uh, no, it's a it's a, he's gonna listen to this. Hopefully, to listen to you, it's an open invitation, man. It doesn't matter if it's today or next year, you know. Um, and I think it benefits a lot of the you know. There's a lot of people that are younger than us that are in their low twenties that uh, they don't they don't even know who these people are. You know, I I love to hear a story. You know what I mean? And I I kind of know of him a little bit. So yeah, so definitely. And I if there was, was a Mount that Rushmore, sorry if there was a Mount Rushmore. I would put them on it. So of car sure. So yeah, no, uh, definitely. Definitely had a heck of a career, and still does. I mean, he's still he's still one of the guys to beat and to be his age. And you know, a lot of people say you know, uh, racing is uh, a sport for the young. And I like to believe that. I always refuse to believe that. <laughs> um, and he's in a testament, proving my point. You know, he can still be his age. Yeah, it might be harder for him, but. He just works that much harder to overcome it, and I respect him so much for it. Right. And was that the race that you won? I think I saw a picture. It was like six grand that you won? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bourbon City uh, in Kentucky, um, they had a, they had a 4,000 win media, pro medium and a 6,000 win pro heavy, and we won them both that day. Um, it was a hell of a day. Um, that's some people call me the Scott Bloomquist of racing, of kart racing, because of that race. Um, I remember specifically, I was out in the shop that week, going through the tires, documenting them, uh, staggering them, and my dad popped his head into the shop and said, "What are you doing?" It was Tuesday. I remember it like yesterday. I'm like, "What do you think I'm doing? You know what I'm doing?" And I was going through all these tires and checking them all and refinishing them, the ones that need to be refinished. And uh, he said, what do you got there? And I was holding a, a right side tire, you know, set three of that year. And I held it up to him. I said, this is 6,000 bucks. And sure enough, I bolted on that set Saturday night for that race. I had it set aside. It, I knew that was a, it never been run before. Um, I had it, since the beginning of the year and just from how it cut and, you know, staggering it and checking the Duro and the thickness, I just knew this was the fastest tire I had in the shop. And, uh, I called my shot and Bloomquist did that at a world 100 race. One time he wrote hundred grand on the sidewall, I think. And, um, yeah, we had a really good day. That 6,000 win race, actually, we went out for qualifying. We just qualified second for the four grand. And I put a better set, sister set on for that qualifying for the sixth grand. Did everything the same. 
and we went out there and we was actually behind uh jonathan wheeler we spoke about his 55 cartel earlier and um that's his one of his home tracks that's his area and uh he's always really tough there and we went out in one of the last groups to qualify and he was in front of us and <clears throat> had loose dirt at the bottom of the turn and he must have missed his mark or whatever in three and four and on lap one of two qualifying he got down in there too much and threw the fluff in the apex right in the center and i went down there just like i always did and uh hit that fluff and dang near wrecked it coming out of four and it killed both my qualifying laps because it broke all my momentum for the final lap and it ruined the lap i was on and uh we ended up qualifying 18th and the format they had if you didn't qualify in the top 18 you missed the race you didn't even get a chance to transfer into it and we qualified 18th exactly <clears throat> shotgun on the field and it was a 54 lap race and uh honestly speaking i wasn't worried at all um i knew it was a long race and i just had to miss the wrecks and sure enough we took the lead with 10 to go or something and got a considerable gap and rode out mm. so i'll definitely be uh i got video of that um which i love studying film but that's definitely a race i'll show my son and kind of instill in him to never give up never doubt yourself and and do your best do you have one that's an awesome story um two do you have that video available that i'll be able to share it maybe on the uh, facebook page or is it on youtube that i can find it yeah um actually lisa connor clark which is a lady i love and i adore for what she does in recording these races and lets us remember and be able to watch videos that we don't quite remember um she actually went live on Facebook and I can actually send you the video cause I have it saved. You know, you can save videos on mm -hmm. Facebook, whatever okay. but I, can, I can send it to you. Um, <clears throat> but that's the only place I know where it's at. It's yeah. super long. It was, it's like a 50 minute video because of mm -hmm. all the cautions and, you know, relining this up and stuff. Right. Uh, that's cool well maybe I'll, what i'll try to do is maybe um you know we'll get up after this and i'll get it from you maybe i can kind of uh edit it down a little bit and maybe um that way everyone that's listening you know the same way with uh kevin colburn he had a something he won daytona with his son or his son won daytona and um you know they have that it's it's pretty cool it's something i think a lot of people would love to watch and and stuff too so um, yeah that'd be great one of the things i really like about uh that video is that you can hear people in the background um, you know, next to her along the fence line and talking and stuff. And uh, if you know what you're listening for, you can hear uh, Mike cheering us on, um, coming from the back and stuff, or take the lead or whatever. And uh, also Bobby Slack, uh, the originator of Slack Chassis, was there with his son Dalton racing. And at the end of the video, you see him come out to the winner's circle and uh, they're great friends of mine and it means a lot to hear because when you're out there racing, um, you don't always, you definitely don't hear the support that you have um, from the people watching. And that always gets me going. I always 
enjoy hearing that, man. Right. Um, so I just want I want to backtrack real second to um, something you had mentioned. Your dad stuck his head in there and you're working on tires and you picked out the set, you know, for whatever reason that like that was a set that came out. Right. If so, when I used to cut a lot of maxi tires, I mean, I would cut like, say, 20 or 30 sets before like a state race. Uh, for customers and stuff and they could be out of 20 sets man there's always like one or two sets that i could never explain to anyone like in words why i thought this was the best set but just through the feel and like you said the cut um the finish there were always you know say out of 20 sets like one or two sets that were just better is that is that a similar situation to you like sometimes tires just it's hard to really relay that to someone else um, and communicate it to someone, but it just, there's something that you feel or that maybe sticks out subconsciously to you that you just know, like that's the right set of tires or am I just making complete nonsense right now? Yeah, no, no, no. You make uh, total sense to me. Um, spent a lot of hours on the tire machine and I think for me, um, some tires just cut and finish a lot easier than other ones. And some tires, um, their durometer changes in a different way than one set that you cut 20 minutes before that set, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And the only thing that I can really come up with is that, you know, how they're manufactured, the curing time, you know, maybe they got a little bit of the different um, uh, mixture when it was made you know we don't get those details but right from year to year i mean i'll feed it back to uh kurt at burris i'm like man something's changed with these tires man the the durometer doesn't change at the same rate or they don't cut the same way um and, and tire guys know that the racer doesn't necessarily know that they might see it with how it's taking prep or what kind of prep works better this year than in last year or something like that. They might see it that way. But when you spend the time with your tires, um, you see those things and you're able to say, I think this one, because it finished easier or the durometer's changing at this rate, this is a better tire for whatever reason, the exact reason I don't think we'll know unless we were actually at the tire factory every day, seeing what really happens. It's those little details um, that would give you the true root cause. But um, fortunately or unfortunately, we don't get that type of information. Right. No, I agree. So, I agree. Uh, I didn't, I just want to make sure I didn't cut you off with anything. I mean, you won, um, I mean, you, you talked about a couple of races that you won, especially the one with, uh, with Dickerson, the six grand and the four grand. Um, I just want to make sure that I, I didn't want to cut you off. Were there any other things that you wanted to, um, any other races or even like championships maybe that stuck out to you over the years? Yeah, there's another race, um, 2016 Midwest race of champions with Devin Heath, who is a uh, karting genius in his own right. Um, in 2016, I kind of wanted to just concentrate on driving and he's like the, one of the only people I would trust doing tire work for me or with me. Um, and the guy's meticulous. Um, he's brilliant. 
Um, we went to the Midwest Race of Champions and beat them by almost a half track on a fifth mile. And to win that caliber of a race by that much, boy, that's a testament to him and, and me and what we had going on that year. Um, that race means a lot to me. Um, another one just happened, actually, last weekend um, at the Rumble in Fort Wayne. We entered six classes, won four of them, should have won six of them. Two, uh, two bad luck things happened in the other two classes where we almost would have swept the whole weekend. Um, my friends, Gary Bevard, who uh, co-owns the operation with me, and Jeff Bear, um, who's a crew guy for us, who works on the stuff with us, um, also wouldn't be able to win those races, but... Um, it was in memory of an old friend of mine, John Limbacher. Um, it was a 2001 race at, uh, at the Rumble in Fort Wayne. Um, we were dominant all weekend. And come to the last pro-heavy race, the two grand to win, Limbacher Memorial, um, we got out front, was controlling the race, um, and, a, and a late caution, or a caution come out, and... We were susceptible in the opening lap, one, two laps of the run, just based on, you know, setting up for a longer run to be faster at the end. And I knew I'd have to try to fight him off on the restart. And I got freighted to back to fourth and uh, just saddled up and worked my way back up in the second and made a last lap, last corner pass to win that race. I was real excited about that one, you know, you know, to overcome adversity there with that caution at a place that typically doesn't get a lot of cautions in the main event <clears throat> mm -hmm. to be able to overcome that, that, that meant a lot. And just wanted to give a shout out to Gary and Jeff Baird, uh, for all the hard work that they do at the racetrack, making it all possible. Yeah, absolutely, man. I know a lot of times, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, a lot of times the drivers or say like the guy that owns the engine shop, you know, like they kind of get the recognition when there's, you know, there's moms, there's people making food, there's people at home that are doing things um, to kind of make it all happen, you know, for the people that, that do get the recognition, you know, so it's, uh, I, I like when you, you know, people come on here and kind of give some shout outs to some guys that, um, you know, normally just wouldn't get that. And, uh, you know, it's, everyone's going to give up their time. So it's not like, you know, we're all making a bunch of money. So just to get a little shout out or, or to know the play, you you played a part in it is, um, it means a lot to, to most people, you know, certainly myself. Um, um, so we've been talking for a little while, man. I don't want to take up your whole Sunday, but uh, I do have maybe a couple more, uh, a couple more little questions before we leave. Um, do you have over your years of racing? Do you have a favorite failure that maybe um, maybe was on the track or at the shop or something like that that maybe you've learned a lot from or just really sticks out to you that kind of changed your mindset? I mean, I know you. I know earlier you kind of talked about when you were younger, you know, uh, complaining about the go kart and someone's like, "Look, man, what am I supposed to do when you're on the track?" But uh, anything other than that that sticks out to you over the years? Yeah. Um... One race sticks out in my memory, still haunts me, was the Tar Heel Nationals in 2017. Um, Austin Yarborough was riding for Todd Miller in the Big Red Machine. He ended up winning the race. They were pretty dominant all day. 
And one of the big things for me that always, you know, chapped my butt a little bit was for the insane 150 grand, guys from down south would come up and win our biggest race of the year. The biggest kart race in the country, you know, they would win or dominate it or whatever. And I think that's a testament to the Burris tire and um, how much easier it is to prepare for a big race with that brand of tire versus a Maxxis tire. So I have I had a little animosity, and when they said there's a Tar Heel National at, at Brasstown, North Carolina, on a big track that the Southern guys are normally running on, and we usually run on an eighth mile, maybe a fifth mile at the biggest. Um, we go down there to a late model track, a track I've never been to, and it took me all day to really figure out, you know, what really needed to be done to these Burris tires. Uh, for the 53 lap, I believe, Ray Cook Memorial, and we started 18th, um, something about that 18th number. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, yeah. Um, but I had a set of tires, it was set five, um, put some 24-7 on them, and, uh, bolted them on, and once they dropped the green flag, I mean, I just started going through the field. I think I made it three wide on Chad Glover and Wheeler for second on lap 11, got in the second. And by the time I got in the second, I could barely see the big red machine all the way at the other end of the straightaway. <laughs> and I looked down at the Micron and it said lap 11. And I was like, oh, we got plenty of time. And sure enough, in 10 laps, I called him. And uh, I run him down so fast. I was like, man, I'm just going to blow his doors off and run away with this thing. And I don't know if you're familiar with that racetrack, but the draft is huge there. Mm -hmm. And he stayed within six cart lengths of me. And a couple lap cars really broke my momentum there. <clears throat> and just as soon as I was about to break the draft, I'd run into a lap cart and they would break my momentum and let them stay within striking distance. And I think it was like lap 43 um, from study and race monitor as much as I do. Um, he passed me back. He got a good run and passed me back. And I, I was like, where the hell did he come from? How is he <laughs> close to me? Um, but then I felt the draft because I ran him down with no draft. And um, I, uh, I sucked right back to him. Like, I passed him too soon. I think I passed him on lap 48 or something like that. And uh, he used the draft to get back by me and, I kind of, you know, chalked that up to, he outdrove me. I mean, how, how else could you put it? Mm -hmm. uh, I had a faster cart. Um, yeah, it's a draft and track, so it's not that big of a difference uh, having a faster cart than having a slower cart with a draft. But he got the better of me that race, and I always pride myself in being one of the best drivers. That's what I want to be known as, and um, – he is he is a, he's a great driver so um all the credit to him for getting it done uh we end up second but second most people would be really proud of which i am um but it still leaves a little sour taste in my mouth because i didn't <clears throat> represent the burris guys and win the big race um that i should have right i uh 
I can hear it in your voice, man. I like, I feel it because I'm like, I'm literally, uh, you know, I helped Alex Way. We went to Ceilings Grove and ran some um, like Burris National stuff, and I mean, we won races there. I wouldn't even hold up like the number one in Winter Circle for pictures because it wasn't like the like the main pro race. You know what I mean? Because in my mind, it, it didn't matter where we went. Like I. I would sacrifice everything to be the best I could in that last race. And um, so I just hearing you talk, man, I can tell you like, Oh man. And uh, you haven't had a guy, you know, you haven't had another shot to get that back yet, but um, hopefully that will, uh, hopefully that'll come man. And like you said, it's, it's hard because the draft is not a big deal in most places, but you know, like possum kingdom back in the day, um, the track, the track you're talking about was like you said, it's a late model track, maybe even at, um, did you watch them run at Charlotte this year? Like kind of on the Charlotte Motor Speedway, the dirt track? I mean, that was a, that was pretty big too. Yeah, I did. Uh, there really wasn't a good feed of it, so it was kind of hard. But I tried to watch as much as possible. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a, that would have been a cool race to go to. Just I talked to WK about that mm-hmm. um, because they didn't do the – get your tires at the track type of format like they did for the max daddy and stuff. And I told him, I was like, for a guy up North, if you want a big cart count and you want the Northern guys to come down and do that, you need to, you know, keep using that. Right. There's at the track type of uh, rule. It'd be more enticing for us to come down and think that we could stand a chance, not mm-hmm. have the entire rotation. And you know, it almost was like it fell upon deaf ears, but that makes sense with WKA, so. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole other uh, podcast we did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Especially with us being around it for as long as we have, man. It's, uh, I've seen some good, some bad, and some ugly. But um, if you had – this is kind of an off-the-wall question, but um, say going in to the Midwest Race of Champions this year, you could put a billboard – at the entrance for people are coming in uh, and you could put anything on that billboard that you wanted to, what would you put on it? Have fun. I don't know. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, anything you put on there. Yeah. Have fun. Uh, go back home. You know what I mean? Long live verse. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It, yeah. I just, I'm just curious, man. Um, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer. I just was kind of curious is everyone has a different mindset, you know what I mean, when going to these things. And, um, you know, people are there for different things. I feel like a lot of times newer people, the expectations don't match reality. But, um, you know, I mean, I guess that's what makes it great for all of us. You know, it's a, there's all different walks of life um, for that. But, yeah, I mean, have fun. I think a lot of people uh, would benefit from reading that sometimes walking in there, you know. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would add make memories, you know, that type of thing. Um, I played football my senior year in high school. Um, come from a football family on my dad's side. Always played sports growing up. Um, had a knack for it, um, and I took a year off racing basically my senior year of high school to, you know, have that memory. I didn't want to look back and be like, man, I wish I would have played my senior year type of thing. Mm-hmm. and um, played, had a great year, was like all league. Um, and that's a great memory that I'll always cherish. Um, and our coach, he would always tell us, you know, you're going to look back on this someday, so make the most of it and make memories. 
and it's kind of the same thing with racing for me. Um, I try to make as many memories as I can, you know, looking forward, um, when I'm older and I'm maybe not able to do it anymore. Um, those memories are all we really have left at that time in our life. So you better have fun and you better make the most of it and, uh, cherish them and try to enjoy the moment when you're in it. Yeah. Thank you for that, man. I, uh, <clears throat> there's no better way to end it than right there, man. That was great. And, um, you know, just, uh, kind of closing up one, I know that you mentioned that you're kind of getting over the flu. So, um, I've heard you sniffling a little bit, so you know I hope you feel better and hope you get back to where you need to be. And uh, I do appreciate you making time, uh, not only for myself but everyone listening. I know a lot of people have have requested you to be on here, and after our conversation, uh, at least from my perspective, man, I think it's easy to see why uh, why you have like a little cult following. You know what I mean? Of a few people, and I think that anyone listening to this that either lives in your area or hits the tracks that you go to would, you know, I. I don't know why you wouldn't want to at least reach out to you and kind of explore the, the options you have as far as prep and chassis and stuff like that. Um, is there, so just two more things, man. One, um, anything else that you'd like to throw out there into the world, anyone you want to thank or give a shout out to. And after that, um, just kind of let everyone know where they can reach you, the best places to find you. And I'll actually, you know, I'll add, I'll tag you, uh, both you personally and your your pages, both on Instagram and Facebook. But um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to give out any shouts, anything you want to kind of close on, and uh, and where people can find you, or where do you like to uh, to talk to people at in general? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks. Uh, first off, I want to say thank you for what you're doing. Um, it really just helps uh, build our community. Documents, you know, my thoughts your thoughts, everybody's thoughts. It, it gives people food for thought. And uh, the conversation is what's going to help us grow further and into the future. So what you're doing um, has unlimited value for all of us. And for that, I thank you very much. Um, shout outs. Uh, first off, we always got to thank God. You know, teach my son every day is a great day. We're blessed to be alive. Um, so in that regard, I, I got to thank God for the life that I'm blessed with, the people that's in my life that I'm blessed with. Um, also, some of the people in my family, uh, my cousin Jeremy Stefan, who grew up racing with me, our moms are sisters. Uh, we, he's a grandkid like I was from that side of the family. Uh, we went, we traveled a lot of miles, went to a lot of races, made a lot of memories. Uh, I love them. I can't thank them enough for all that, uh, that we've done together. Um, my mom, of course, Dawn Lambert, she, uh, she's always supported me. She was at the race in Fort Wayne last weekend. Uh, my sisters, Brianna and Alexa Lambert, stepdad, Doug Lambert, my dad, Bill Schneider, um, all my aunts, my uncle, uh, they've all supported me. And, you know, I've just been so blessed with such a great family that um, it makes every day a great day. Um, um, that's who I really wanted to thank and make sure I got a call out for. And hopefully someday my son Landon will, will listen to this. Um, 
and maybe take some positivity from it and, and grow on it. And as far as reaching me, um, I'm an open book. Um, it doesn't really doesn't matter if you're not on our product yet. Um, my main goal is to help the sport uh, and to give back. So don't feel like if you're not on a kinetic, if you're not on the Racex Prep or or the tires, that I'm not going to help you or um, help you enjoy the sport that I love so much. So don't let that be a uh, a block for that. So if you're not on it, don't worry about it. Come talk to me, and we'll figure out a way to get the most out of uh, most out of your racing career and. Uh, You'll probably end up on the product, but uh, that's only because I put a lot of time and effort and uh, my heart and soul into what we do to try to help as much as we can. So um, you can reach me on Facebook, on the Racex Facebook page or my personal page. Doesn't matter. Shoot me a message. We'll exchange contact info from there and um, hopefully be able to help you enjoy the sport for as long as possible. Great, man. Um, I am very happy that we had the time to sit down, man. It was everything I hoped it would be. I think you're a thoughtful person and, uh, I hope in maybe four years or so, I'll be able to get Landon back on here and do a follow up on this one. And, um, you know, there's, I, I don't know if you'd ever be open to it. I know that Wesley had mentioned a while back. He's like, man, it'd be cool to record a conversation with me and, Phil and, and Halliburton to um, just you guys talking about chassis balance and things like that. So I'm hoping maybe sometime in the future, maybe, you know, this year, next year or something, maybe to even actually get you guys together and um, we we'll just have like a little round table and just kind of let people listen in to um, just some conversations of high level people. You know, I think more so than, I mean, you've listened to the podcast a few times. I mean, it's more so than people, you know, you coming on here and saying you have to do X, Y, and Z. Like you said, it's more, sparking the thought process kind of getting people moving in the right direction and kind of letting them uh you know for lack of better terms you know catch their own fish as opposed to you delivering it on a platter so um so anyway man i really appreciate your time and um as with anything man always i always try to tell people that if there's any way that i can help you know your program or anything like that or carding in general uh anything going on big races let me know i'll share it on the on the facebook page that i have and and uh, I think together there's a lot of people willing to help build the community. And I think that uh, you and I are probably right there uh, pushing and pulling in the, in the same direction, you know? So uh, I appreciate that. And uh, if there's nothing else, man, um, we'll get out of here. Yeah, man, definitely right back at you. Anything I can do to help. We are, uh, we are working in the same direction. So uh, whatever you come up with, I'm on board and I'll support it. So thank you very much. Cool, man. everyone 21 episodes in the book i appreciate it i hope you guys enjoyed the podcast it was definitely one of my favorite we kind of touched base on a lot of different things and uh it's it's nice to know that there are several people out there uh, pulling in the right direction so hopefully we can kind of connect all the dots on here and continue improving everything i know a lot of you have been racing indoor Uh, we just got over the holidays so i hope everyone's doing well and as always, if you see Phil or any of the past guests, even if you don't run their, you know, their product or their brand or whatever, you know, stop by, have a conversation with them. I think everyone that's been on here, 
it's good for a conversation. I mean, you know, just kind of hang out. I'm sure that there's different questions that I didn't think of at the time that maybe you have. Uh, you can reach out to them on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter. I usually try to post links to all the people that have been on here. So again, thank you and I hope to talk to you soon. Bye.